A Look Within podcast is brought to you by the South Carolina Department of Mental Health, a healthcare organization providing innovative mental health and wellness services across all of South Carolina. Learn more about our services and resources at www.scdmh.net. Child and adolescent mental health is a topic and a conversation receiving considerable amounts of attention today, and rightfully so. And if you look further, you'll see a growing body of work focusing on infant and early childhood mental health. It's a topic few may have considered, and yet the effective promotion of healthy development from ages zero to five and the ability and power of simple, meaningful interactions to influence a child's life, well, it just can't be overstated in terms of its importance and impact. In today's conversation, we speak with the CEO of the South Carolina Infant Mental Health Association, Carrie Schnacki and Dr. Mackenzie Soniak, clinical psychologist and the director of infant and early childhood capacity building. And what follows is an incredibly important conversation for families as we discuss mental health in young children and effective treatment and resources for those children and their families. I was really interested um, and curious about this topic and, and knowing more. And so I think a lot of our viewers our listeners will be really interested in as well. The first question that came to my mind was, you know, what is infant mental health and, and, and why is it important for us to be thinking about that? Yeah, I think it, it kind of, uh, it doesn't, it's not a common uh, combination of words we hear, infant and mental health. And right. so yeah. I think it does, uh, you know, raise a lot of uh, questions and interests from folks. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, people are eliciting like an image of a baby on Freud's couch or, as we tend to do in the U.S., we hear the words mental health and we jump to mental illness. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're, then people are thinking about babies with, you know, like multiple personality disorders or some kind of extreme thing. And it it's really much more subdued than that. Um, it's very consequential, but smaller. The babies are small. Their signals are small. They, uh, that if there is a mental health concern and um, so it really takes kind of a specialized lens to look at it. And Mackenzie, you jump in and maybe you can talk about, I, I said what it is, and maybe you can talk about what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that when we kind of think about the, the kind of some of the formal definitions that have come up about it, there's, there's kind of these different components that we really focus in on. Um, so, but ultimately the, the underlying piece of it is that there's things that we expect babies to do right, and and this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, right. Um, right? We we expect babies to form close relationships with the people who take care of them, mm-hmm. um, and so these can be their parents at home. Um, the, they can be the childcare workers um, for the um, where they where they spend some of their time while their parents are at work, grandparents, so on and so forth. But we expect them to form those relationships. We also expect them to slowly but surely learn how to express and manage their emotions. Um, And this is kind of where the crux of the piece when we talk about how mental health issues will show up um, and is really kind of one of the most poignant parts that we'll probably talk about later because ultimately the way that children learn that it's okay for me to have feelings. It's okay for me to signal when I'm not okay, when I'm having 
big, sad, scary, um, mad feelings. And then I know that there's somebody there to be with me in that relationship to, um, to help manage those feelings. And that eventually I'll start to learn how to do it a little bit more independently. Um, but, and then just again, learning from their world around them. So when you then have a caregiver, who's there, who can help you when you're feeling overwhelmed by new tasks, such as for some of those first tasks that we think about of reaching up to grab an object that is dangling over you or flipping over for tummy time, um, all the way to learning a new puzzle or learning how to navigate new peer relationships, um, that ultimately you are able to manage your feelings in those moments. And so you're problem solving. You can pay attention for longer periods of time. You can um, really feel like you can uh, go out and, and learn from the environment around you. And they're all interconnected and all so important, but ultimately what you'll hear us talk so much about is that the foundation of this is that relationship. So what do you uh, see in terms of um, maybe infants that haven't had that environment? So maybe there's neglect or there's some sort of trauma situation like er- early on, you know, are they presenting uh, as a child in, in a different way that um, a caregiver might be able to kind of be mindful of? Yeah. I mean, I think um, one of the things that we share when we work with other professionals and we're teaching about infant mental health is one of the answers is it's always, it depends, right? So um, you, a lot of people have kind of heard about this nature versus nurture um, uh, impact. And the reality is, is that we now know from science, it's nature and nurture Mm -hmm. um, kind of weighing in at different kind of uh, pieces of this. And so, um, uh, you know, just because a child hasn't had the most optimal environment doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to see really terrible outcomes. But sometimes we know that young children might have just slightly less than optimal environments and we see really big negative outcomes. Hmm. And so in a lot of ways, that's where we mean of it depends, right? And so it it can be that this is a very sensitive child who um, really needs very specific environmental conditions Mm -hmm. where it can be impactful, or it could be a really resilient child who maybe doesn't have necessarily the most optimal conditions, but there's enough there to keep them flourishing. Um, And so I think that that is something that we always want to kind of uphold as that piece of resilience and hope. Is there things that parents can sort of uh, pick up on? Because, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. You have a colicky baby um, or, you know, maybe there's a a baby who seem, seems quiet and you're a little concerned because they might not be picking up on cues. And there's also the issue of, um, you know, autism spectrum disorder and all of that. So there's all these kind of complexities. Any any sort of advice for, for parents, especially new parents that are trying to navigate this and, and what they may notice or not notice? Yes, I, I think that there's still right. There's still those concerns are present, and um, you know the 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 fact of the matter is is that young children are do have diagnosable disorders. Um, mm-hmm. 
and, and their, then, you know, that zero to five age range. And what a lot of people don't know is they're pretty, it's pretty similar to what we diagnose older children and adolescents, right? The rates are pretty similar. Um, but again, it can be tricky, right? And so um, right. Carrie was talking about this earlier of when babe, it's babies, it's really small. And so it's, it's sometimes that you're, you're not necessarily looking at like what the symptom is. You're trying to say, oh, there's, there's some symptom here, but what is the cause of this? Right. Um, Sometimes our, our symptoms are signals and, and most often what we tend to see in infant and early childhood is it's behaviors, right? It's behaviors are our signal behaviors are the communication that, Hey, something's not quite right. But let's say you have a two-year-old who is being really disruptive in their classroom. Um, They're having frequent tantrums in their, in their classroom at their childcare center. And it's really giving the teachers a lot of grief. And so the tantrums, what, like, what, why are, what are, what are those tantrums caused from a child's not going to say I'm having big, bad, sad feelings that because my, I miss my mom right. um, there, there, what if that child's mom has passed away? What if the child witnessed their parent pass away? Yeah. What if that child has child welfare involvement and has been separated from that parent? Um, and so, Oftentimes, it's not necessarily about what exactly the the signs are. It's about you saying, hey, there's this sign here and I'm curious about it. And I want to understand what could be the root behind why this is happening that gives us more information. Truly, I often tell parents, trust your gut. If something feels off, get curious about it. Yeah, yeah. And and um that kind of brings up a couple of things. One is is sort of the age, and I'm just naive about this. So when we say infant, you know, what are we looking at in terms of age range? Is it just zero to one, or because you know you referenced a two year old and and that sort of thing? Um, yeah, we we identify infant as birth to three. Birth um, to three, okay. So when we actually call our we describe our work as infant and early childhood mental health because our focus is really on birth to five actually prenatally to five um, because that that uh, relationship between baby and mom starts prenatally. Um, the mother is bringing her own experiences of being parented into the expectations of the baby she's carrying. And so already there can be some um, defining ideas of what this child will be and what the relationship will be. And yeah. so it starts very early. Um, I, I too would add to, you know, extending a little bit on what Mackenzie said about how it shows up that it is, it is indeed, it's kind of a um, ruling out um, the typical uh, features that might explain a child's behavior. That is the behavior that's extreme or persistent. So, you know, in the example of perhaps there's a, a, a child, a two-year-old or three-year-old in childcare, and they've got big behaviors and they're throwing things and hitting and screaming, and it's, it's beyond what the other kids are doing. So and kind of question, is it environmental? Does it only happen? in the classroom? Is this how the child is in all circumstances? If it's just in the classroom, maybe it's overstimulation. Maybe it's the way that the environment is set up is really encouraging the kid to just run loose. You know, there's not nice little areas where they can get engaged in the materials. So you kind of rule those things out. And then when you're left with those aren't explaining it, then you kind of come to the idea there's, there's some unmet need here. 
Yeah. Um, and is that need, did it, was there some trauma in the, ex, in the, in the past that hasn't been um, resolved? Is there, um, you, you don't know what you got, you, you know, you have to ask these questions to really dig into what is it behind it, but that's kind of the, the, the lever that would say, okay, this is more than typical development. There's something else going on here to, to address. Yeah. I'm often fascinated by, by just sort of some things that maybe can happen that a child experiences. And even at that young an age where you may not realize they're experiencing and how much of a, an impact it could have. Yeah, you know, uh, for sure. And I mean, I think that the other, I mean, you, it's, you talked about these small signals earlier too. And so, you know, one of the really amazing things about human beings is how adaptable we are. Um, but that comes as a consequence sometimes too, because, um, it, you know, sometimes we don't necessarily recognize the signals that are not happening as also a way of cueing us in that, that we might have concerns. And so we, we've been talking a lot about kind of these bigger observable behaviors, but on the opposite side, you also, also might have these um, babies or young children who are not going to people for help when they have big emotions, um, that they're not reaching out to, um, to, to the teacher, to their, their, uh, to their caregiver. Um, and you know, what research has shown us is that by the age of 10 months old, infants have learned what needs make their caregivers uncomfortable. And so they will stop signaling their caregiver that they have those needs. And so they'll start to signal something else saying, this is an approximation of what I can get from you. I know that you will respond to this, but I really need to be, for example, comforted in this moment. And so you can literally see these babies who stop crying. And oftentimes we hear about this and they're labeled, oh, these kids are so good. I never have any problem with them. They're mm. so quiet. Yeah. And for us, that's a signal of saying, hey, maybe we should wonder about why they're not letting you know that they're upset because truly we want like we want babies to cry. <laughs> we want them to let us know that something's happening. That's their way of communicating. And then we, we need to then respond to them it's like a, this paradigm shift in terms of the way you might look at, um, you know, at the child and how they're, they're developing and, and being mindful of that. Uh, what does treatment look like uh, for an infant or somebody between zero and, and age three? I think it can look, um, uh, they, there's, there's a couple of, you know, evidence-based practices that are out there, right? So there's very specific training for uh, mental health professionals um, who go, th who might be um, treating this age of population and, and kind of across all of those different um, uh, treatment modalities that you might see, there's kind of this core of the relationship as the focus again, right? So we kind of come back full circle to yeah. the relationship is what we want to see at that foundation um, for, you know, typical development. And the relationship is what we go back to when maybe we see things that we're concerned about. Um, and it's truly this idea of building a house, right? So mm -hmm. if you, you can give the parents all the parenting strategies and tell the child all these coping skills, but if you do this without, if you do all the scaffolding without the foundation, 
it's going to be unstable. The structure is going to be unstable. And so you're constantly going back to the structure with these temporary fixes. If you don't then focus on the relationship, the relationship is the vehicle for change and healing. Um, and, and so all of the interventions will do that. And admittedly, as somebody who does this work, that's a hard sell for parents when you say that yeah. we're going to talk about the relationship because <laughs> right. It, it's um, there's, there's, I think uh, a lot of parents when I talk with them and I've done this work for a while now, there's this, the one, the one common fear that I have is I don't want to mess up my kid. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's a lot of self-blame that sometimes happens. There's a lot of fear that others will see you as not adequate. And so there's a lot of support that has to go in with the parents of saying, Hey, this is just really hard. And you didn't do something wrong. This is we're we're working from strengths-based lens. We're, we're trying to make sure that you are not blaming yourself because we're not here as the professionals in that spot. And, and just really getting at how does it feel to spend time with your child? Do you feel anxious when this happens, when your child behaves in this way? Mm. Or is, does it feel hard to be with your child? And most of the times when you kind of end up going down that path that parents will admit, yeah, it's really hard for me to be with my child, especially in the moments where there are these behaviors that I'm not sure how to handle, or, or when the child doesn't seem to be responding to the way that I'm attempting to support and comfort them. And I just, I'm out of options of what to do. And so it's eventually you end up getting there of saying, and this is why we're going to focus on the relationship. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, Cause I was thinking, um, Mackenzie, uh, you know, what brings people, you know, to you or to someone uh, for help. And it's so that kind of gave a nice picture of, of maybe what that might look like if somebody's feeling anxious or in, in terms of the, the relationship, but that it may be a, a indicator that they may want to talk to somebody are um are pediatricians uh mindful of this i'm trying to think of we're going to get into i want to talk about the association as a resource but you know how do people seek help i mean what are some of the ways that they do that we've got a lot of growth uh in this area in south carolina um not not pediatricians necessarily to single them out but just kind of in general um, you know, there's still a lot of belief that like babies won't remember. Um, and so just babies won't remember trauma, so we don't need to address it. They'll, you know, they'll be older. It won't be a problem, but their bodies remember. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, awareness raising that, that is, needs to happen across all of our families, but professionals as well, who serve young children and families in different sectors, pediatricians, home visitors, child welfare, um, you know, social workers, there's, there is a lot of, room for recognizing exactly when there is a concern that qualifies for I need this child needs something more this family I should say needs something more then uh, let's wait and see um, uh, sometimes the I think the more the most common response at this point from professionals who are picking up that there's something there something that needs more attention is uh managing the child's behavior and and often categorizing it as ADD or ADHD um, when that is that yeah. is strictly the symptom not what's underneath and so right. it, it's not really addressing the root of the problem 
the South Carolina Department of Mental Health is celebrating its 200-year anniversary, offering mental health services for children, families, and adults. SCDMH is one of the first states in the country to provide mental health services. Learn more at www.scdmh.net. You know, you mentioned evidence-based practices. Uh, what are some some of those just so people can kind of, so a parent can, can know when they hear something that this is maybe what I'm looking for, this is the right track? So uh, the one we have, a uh, circle of security is um, one, and it's a it's a parenting group, um, and you know really kind of thinking about parents being able to be there and support each other, and also hear some similar stories of what it is like to parent your child and feel these struggles. Right. Um, and then you get into some of our more one-on-one modalities, mm-hmm. um, such as attachment biobehavioral catch-up, which sounds scary on the outside, yeah. but is actually, we call it ABC. Um, and it is a 10-week in-home program for families where an ABC coach will come directly to their home um, and be able to support them in activities and play with their child while learning about some of these things that we've talked about and how it applies specifically to their child. Um, There's also um, parent-child interaction therapy, which has been in South Carolina for a bit of time here, um, which focuses on building relationships and then supporting parents with learning about limit setting and how to kind of set consequences and um, and, and, uh, and time ends. Um, And then finally, we have um, a child-parent psychotherapy, which is our big one that we're actually um, joining with uh, the Department of Mental Health with right now to start a cohort of about 20 clinicians um, across the state who will be trained in this. And as for uh, the prenatal to five-year-old population, um, and and as for uh, kids and families when they've experienced trauma early on in their lives, and it's a pretty intensive um, trauma treatment that responds both to um, if the child experienced that trauma, but also when the parent has had their own experience with trauma as well. And so that kind of segues for me into, yeah, let's talk about the South Carolina Infant Mental Health Association because, you know, as I'm asking you these questions, I could see the the bridge between you all and and whether it's the treatment modalities or the connection or the awareness building or, or what have you. Um, so, you know, I don't know, um, Carrie or Mackenzie, who, mm-hmm. just if you can kind of just tell us a little bit more about the association as a start. Yeah. Um, so we're a nonprofit. We're working statewide. Our focus is very much on supporting and working with professionals already in place uh, in different sectors serving young children and families um, and providing opportunities to get um, deeper training in infant mental health. And that applies in different ways, depending on the profession. I mean, it's relevant to childcare providers. And so what does it, infant mental health, what is the, um, the knowledge they need to know to support, to promote healthy social emotional development in their settings? Um, all the way to, like Mackenzie said, we're working with Department of Mental Health to have clinicians trained in some of the the clinical interventions. Um, And so there really hasn't been deep attention on infant mental health in South Carolina prior to, uh, you know, a few years ago when we got started. And so this is the the place that we're investing our energy. We've already got these professionals working and touching the lives of these families and children. So let's just 
offer these additional skills um, so that they can really have that infant mental health lens to apply to the work they're already doing. Yeah. And is this part of a, um, a, a national association um, and you're just coming yeah. into South Carolina and how long have you been here? Yeah, there is a, um, it's called the Alliance for the Advancement of Infant Mental Health, which is a, it's actually an international um, association. And then we are an affiliate. South Carolina is an affiliate. Uh, we started um, the affiliate with just a few uh, volunteers in 2017. And the focus was very much on workforce competencies and kind of establishing even what those look like. Uh, and then we we moved at the beginning of 2020, just in time for the pandemic to start into <laughs> really a full, you know, operating organization with paid staff. And we have grown to uh, about 30 staff right now um, working on this professional development on systems building. We do some direct clinical supports, um, uh, but that's the, the scale of it is very much about bolstering our existing workforce. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of the um, education and training and, and awareness building and alliances. Um, and it sounded like, as Mackenzie had mentioned, like the circle of security or, so are those things that you you know of resources that you can help parents find or that you also offer them? Yeah, so we do offer some, like Carrie said, we do offer some um, sort resources. Um, we have a couple of family-facing programs, um, and Circle Security is something that we offer regularly once a month. However, we are training several folks in different agencies, um, such as Head Start and Early Head Start, um, folks who work in pediatric offices, um, and, and those who work um, in, in different settings so that families can access those resources directly in their community. And we kind of see ourselves for, for those at least as a, just in case uh, there's some way that you can't get in there or virtual just works better for you, here's an ongoing service. Yeah. But all of the services that we've talked about um, also are able to be accessed through um, Help Me Grow South Carolina, um, which um, is a, a service connector system for and, and um, promotes developmental screenings. And um, they've come under our schema umbrella um, in order to help support um, families and being able to access resources. What would you say in terms of uh, a family and they have some concerns so there's some level of awareness and they have some concerns and they're trying to figure out where to turn to. Uh, should Can they reach out to you, to the association directly and to get some guidance? Really, the helpmegrowsc.org is the best entry point and that, that does link to our services and more. Um, so Help Me Grow our, is, as Mackenzie said, is a, a program under our schema umbrella, okay. um, but it's designed to support families and professionals actually who are looking for resources, even if they don't know exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, but there's some sense that, you know, my child has a need. Um, and then through the service um, uh, referral process, there's also opportunity for a, a simple developmental screening to be completed by the parent that helps inform maybe where there are uh, needs that the child has. And then the, the Help Me Grow Care Coordinators help the parent find uh, resources to meet those needs in their local community down to, um, you know, what are the hours of operation? Does that align with the parent's ability to take their child for a visit? Do they have transportation or do they need a, a practice that's on a bus line? It's very much a warm, supportive uh, connection for families. Okay. So helpmegrowsc.org, correct? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, this I this is really um, excellent information. I really appreciate uh, the time from both of you. I don't know if there's anything maybe each of you might want to say, whether it's about the association uh, that we missed in this conversation or just something you might want to sh- share uh, to people who are listening, parents, caregivers who might have some concern or anxiety around their child um, and what they should do moving forward. I think that one of the um, my biggest takeaways since I started working with Skimma, and this is for both professionals and the families that I heard from, is is that um, this was a thing that a lot of caregivers felt for a long time. They mm-hmm. they had this worry that something was happening that they couldn't put uh, their finger on. And, um, and when we would describe a service or describe what infant mental health was, it was almost this light bulb moment of, thank gosh, somebody is able to identify that this is a real thing. Right. And so um, for any caregivers who are out there who are just feeling like things aren't quite right, know that, you know, you're not alone. There's a lot of folks who are here um, to help be part of our organization, other organizations across the state. um, And and that you feel that there's a validity in that um, feeling that you're having. And um, there will be, an opportunity to set you up with the resources that are going to best be fit your unique needs and your family value and your family stories. All right. Um, so Carrie, as, as the, the CEO of the South Carolina Infant Mental Health Association, as we're closing out here, is there anything else that you, you'd want to share with our audience? Yeah. One of, one of our programs that we haven't talked about yet is uh, called Partners for Early Attuned Relationships or PAIR for short. And um, this is made up of our our mental health trained professionals around the state, and they work specifically in early care and education settings to support um, children, the the child care providers and the families when there is a a concern being expressed by the child that the the child care provider is unsure of how to handle. Um, and child care providers are, are really stretched thin. They're asked to do a lot with very little. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes they have elevated stress and that's not when we're at our best and able to interpret and and respond sensitively to children. Um, and, you know, there's sometimes it's just a matter of those children who just are extra active and, you know, there's there's just not the capacity for the adults to respond sensitively. And sometimes it's as, that, as simple as that. And it's more about um, the adults needing to kind of attend to their own well-being. But sometimes there are children, as we've been talking about, who have experienced trauma or have something else that is driving um, behavior that is beyond the norm. Mm. And so that's when our infant mental health consultants can come in. They work directly with the child care provider, bring in the family and really kind of uncover what's beneath the meaning. Um, and often this intervention will prevent a child from being expelled from the preschool. Um, this happens more mm. frequently than probably most families realize, but often um, the, you know, the, the child care program with the best intentions just says we're not the right fit for this child um, and ask the parent to take the child somewhere else. And unfortunately, there's not a magical child care center that's, you know, perfectly equipped to deal with um, children that have really, really big challenges. And rather the, the, um, the way that we can help is to come in and give the program, um, the teachers and the families, the tools to, to understand the child's behavior and, and create uh, ways to meet their their emotional needs that 
that works out for everybody. It's good for the child. It calms things down in the classroom and uh, creates peace at home. I'm David Diana, host and producer of A Look Within, conversations on mental health and well-being. We want to thank Carrie Schnacki and Dr. Mackenzie Soniak for joining us today. You may learn more about their work and the work of the South Carolina Infant Mental Health Association at scimha.org. And of course, we want to thank all of you for listening and hope you'll join us next time. A Look Within Conversations on Mental Health and Wellbeing podcast is hosted and produced by David Diana and the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. We hope you'll join us for our next conversation.